0: Welcome to Gagliardi's Got Real Estate Podcast, hosted by myself, Gerald Sabri, and Rocky Gagliardi. We look forward to bringing you something fresh, something new the Golden Valley hasn't seen before. More informative information, we've got special guests, hot topics. Make sure you follow on your preferred podcast platform, GSRE socials. We hope you enjoy this episode. G'day viewers, my name's Gerald Sabri, and welcome to episode six of uh, GSRE Podcast, and today. We've got two local guests with us, um, Matt Jones from Jones & Mitchell Legal and Rick Soffra from Sofra's Solicitors, both local here in Shepparton. So uh, welcome, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us on our podcast. Um, we thanks look forward for nice. to a, uh, a nice interview the, this morning. And uh, we'll start with yourself, Matt, and just let us know a little bit about yourself and how long you've been in business.
1: Uh, so, I've, uh, I've been a practising solicitor now since 2013, I think, um, and Jones and & Mitchell Legal came into existence in, in 2019. Um, I'm one of the partners there with, uh, with my business partner, Loretta Mitchell, yep. um, and I practise mainly in, in commercial, um, so all things businesses, leasing, property, um, wills, Yep. you name it um it's a pretty broad spectrum um yeah, so i've been um had my, my own business with loretta since 2019 so yep. um but but local born and bred um, did my time like most lawyers in melbourne um and uh came home um, practicing in some other firms and then jones and mitchell legal in 2019 so yeah,
0: yeah. very good and rick welcome rick just tell us a little bit about yourself great to be
2: here jared um Similar story to Matt, a local boy, born and bred, um, went away, saw the world a bit, practised law in Dublin for a few years in in a commercial litigation firm, came back home and and went into the the family business. Um, Dad, uh, Tony Soffer, has been a, a local practitioner for... 50 60 70 80 years every time i speak to him it goes up by like yeah. a decade <laughs> um and uh and i've been in the game for about 25 years uh my areas are primarily uh similar about commercial um property type transactions yep. it's probably half of my business mm-hmm. and the other half would be commercial litigation i do a, a lot yep. in that space so i, I think uh uh, the, the litigation experience gained overseas um, has mm. been able to translate here yep. quite well and, and uh, I have a pretty active practice there as yep. well. So we're a busy firm, not just to yep. Matt. We're all pretty busy at the moment, Matty. Absolutely. So, um, mm. so
0: in terms of that, um, yeah, we're... we're, we're uh, very good. Very good. Well, our main topic today is about business and what's involved in listing and selling of business. <clears throat> and these two guys will give us a great insight in what's involved, how to prepare, how to prepare and what's happening in that space at the moment. So I'll start with yourself, Rick. What, what, what are the, the, the main documents required for uh, an, an owner to provide, you know, when selling a business? Before I get to that, yeah. Jared. it's a big topic you've picked mm.
2: and uh, I just want to probably say two general bird uh, bird's eye view comments sure. if I could. Yeah, um, And Matt will probably support me on this because we've done a lot of transactions <clears> together. <throat> uh, I think the first thing to say about... A Businesses; no two business transactions are the same. Yep. Um, there's a lot of moving parts to the transaction. Um, and I've never seen an area of the law which requires so much interaction between lawyers, accountants, mm. real estate agents and the parties themselves. Yep. Uh, the second thing I'd probably say is I've never seen a, a commercial area of the law that's so emotion-driven. We've got vendors that either uh, want to get out of the business for some reason mm. or vendors that are so passionate about their legacy, their employees, their, um, their clients, that uh, they're very, very um, focused on the transaction. And equally, we have purchasers, Matt, that just want to be in yesterday. Yeah, exactly. So, so we <laughs> often find that we're, we're, we're reverse engineering transactions. Yeah. So the first thing I would say to, 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 to your listeners, both as a vendor and a purchaser, is mm. don't rush. Yep. Don't rush the transaction.
1: No, exactly. It, it's going to be one of the bigger transactions you make uh, in your lifetime. So uh, take take your time. Understand where the respective parties are coming from because mm-hmm. there's emotion both sides, as, as, as Rick has said, um, and it's important to understand that and respect it because uh, you step on toes at the start of the transaction.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, It tends to be very hard to undo that going forward.
2: So in answer to your specific yeah. question now... Yeah. Um, more is better at the beginning for the lawyers. Um, we, we need to, uh, vendors often don't, um, because they're, they're so in the business, they don't appreciate all the things that they may need to disclose as part of the process. Mm. Um, and we need to know everything. We need to know about the lease, so that we need to know firstly the tangible documents. Yeah. So you'll have things like plant equipment lists, you'll yeah. have stock lists, you'll mm-hmm. have, um, Um, things that are within the business that are tangible and physical. Then you'll have intangible um, aspects to the business. So that would include copyright, business names, IP, any technical processes. Um, Then you would probably need to disclose to us um, the lease and anything related to the lease that's Mm. essential to, 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 to disclose to a purchaser. Uh, employee lists, employee entitlements, that type of uh, information is essential. And then anything that's, that's confidential. And what I'd say about the confidentiality aspect mm. of it, it's important before you disclose anything that's confidential to your business, whether it's your figures or whether it's your processes, that you either have the have the purchaser on a on a non disclosure agreement yep. beforehand, or alternatively have them signed up to the contract. Uh, before you go disclosing yep. anything, so they're probably the main areas. But yep. anything else you can Yeah, no, that's. I think you've
1: captured it pretty well there, Rick. It's, um, but, but I think. I think one of the big ones is you know employee entitlements is a mm. is a, is a big one that uh, takes some time to gather, um, to understand, you know, annual leave, long service leave, sick yeah. leave, those sort of things. So, um, if you have your ducks in order at the start of it. Um, it it certainly makes for a smoother transaction.
2: Mm. Where where I mentioned about the accountants and the need to understand um, or have them involved in the process, often with a vendor, the structures that, that underpin what we're dealing with mm-hmm. are really important for us mm-hmm. to understand. <clears throat> yep. Because you may find that assets are located in one structure and the business is located in another structure and yeah. there are capital gains implications, or other tax implications that you really need mm-hmm. to be across. So I think probably the other thing I'd add is
0: details about the various structures um, where things might, might mm-hmm. rest.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, you make yeah. a good
0: point. Because even as agents, I mean, it's very complex and as agents, or for viewers really to understand the complexity of what is involved. I think it's yep. it is can be misleading. Yep. And as an agent or agencies or agents out there that are dealing with business, it's it's tough. It's tough and it's very, very time consuming. I mean I've I've dealt in some myself. I mean I don't deal with it you know a lot, but when you do, you don't realise the amount of work that is involved compared to a a standard residential or a land transaction at business and it's and it's emotions and it's there's moving parts everywhere so that's that's a big part of, of uh, informing our viewers today what is actually involved and that's i think that's a a big thing and a big one
1: uh, too, Gerald. And, and you say it's difficult, you know, as agents, um, because often the vendor, your mm. client, will not yeah. understand what they need either yeah. as part of the transaction. Mm. So, you know, they they might never have sold a business before, so no. they don't they don't appreciate what documents we're going to need and the yeah. level of detail that we're going to need about that. Yeah. Um, and and it's also important that you know when we're talking business we can be ranging from, you know, multi million dollar transactions yep. to um, you know, a, a corner store selling for yeah. fifty grand, That's something right. like that. Mm. But fundamentally yeah. um, the requirements are the same. Yeah. So the, the amount of work is still the same. Yeah. So yeah. you know it's yep. it's 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 important to get to get mm. that across.
2: I don't know about your experience, Matt, but Sometimes the multi-million dollar transactions go smoother than the corner yeah. store <laughs> transactions, unfortunately. So the yeah. other thing I would add to what you just said, Jared, is I yeah. think it's really essential for, for, for vendors particularly, but both parties, to communicate with their agent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because of the emotional side, mm. the agent can quite often be in the middle. The lawyers are yeah. protecting the interests of the
0: parties. That's right. But if you have open communication with the agent, you can often overcome yeah. some of those, those issues. Absolutely. Yeah, no, spot on. Matt, tell us about... Um uh, section 52 and what that is and what's what's what the requirements are for a business uh, owner. Yep,
1: so Section 52 of the Estate Agents Act um, and when we're talking about documents that are important to have at the commencement of the matter, um, that, that's probably number one yep. um, right up there. Effectively what it is, is it tells a purchaser about the business. So it requires that it gives your purchaser the financials for the current year mm-hmm. And the previous two financial years. Yep. Now, if you if a if a vendor hasn't been operating the business for that long, then it's got to be for you know, at least as long as they have been operating yep. it for. Yep. And it's it's essentially a profit and loss. Yep. Um, it looks at um, what the business has done over the last couple of years, uh, what the costs of the business are. It looks at uh, what the business hours are, so the days, the trading hours, how long they've been trading for. Um, And it's a requirement uh, because if it's not provided to a purchaser Mm. before they sign a contract, it is an open door for a purchaser Mm. to pull the pin on the deal at any time prior to settlement. It's also important that the information is accurate because if if it's misleading or false in any material respect, that the risk is the same. The purchaser can walk yep. if that's the case. Mm-hmm. And usually what, what you'd be telling your vendors at the time they're looking at listing their business is, okay guys, head off to your accountant now, yeah. ask them to put together a section 52. Yep. The accountant will know what that is yep. um, because both the vendor needs to sign it, the mm-hmm. accountant needs to sign it as being correct yep. and then it, it will go off to a purchaser of, as part of the deal. Mm. so very very critical document because you don't want to do all this hard work spend the time and spend the money then realize we haven't done the 52 yeah and a couple of days prior to settlement your purchaser says you know what i've got cold feet Mm. you didn't give me a section 52 Uh, i'm off
2: yep very good rick the only thing i would add to that um putting my litigation hat on (laughs) uh is that even if settlement does proceed, it exposes a vendor to misrepresentation if there yep. is actually incorrect yep. data yep. in there. And yep. I, We've seen all manner of 52s where they've been handwritten. Mm. And you think, well, if you can't spend the money on getting professionals to advise yep. you, 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 you're playing with fire. Mm. The only thing, Matt, is, is prescribed demand is 450000
1: Yeah, the, the figure's 450000 So a business sold for above that doesn't require one. Okay. Um, but uh, a definition of small business currently is is 450000 sale price.
2: And I think the only yep. other exemption from my recollection is if it requires a liquor licence, you may not need a 52, so if you're selling a restaurant or a...
1: That's an interesting one. I, I, I've had that pop up recently and I looked at that section. Yep. And it has a, uh, I suppose, a caveat to it that if the business can't be operated with that licence... Okay. So I look at things like a restaurant or a cafe that has a liquor licence, but is that – I mean, technically, you could operate the business without it. Um, um, So it's it's an interesting one. Mm. I've I've sort of formed the view that – Just do it. Just do it. What's the the downside to a vendor?
2: I think any prudent purchaser that's being properly represented would require it firstly, and and anything over that threshold – You'd want financials anyway, so I mean, it's just as a matter of course, yep. get yep. it done. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yep. good. Um, GST, is GST applicable in the sale of business? Is it ever? <laughs> <laughs>
1: of course, yeah. Um, uh, G- GST, again, it, it's one of the big questions to ask um, uh, at, the, at the start of the matter. Um, what we're looking for here. The first question is always whether the vendor is registered, registered. or required yeah. to re- be registered for GST. <clears throat> if they're operating the business, um, very few circumstances would that not be the case that mm. they weren't registered, but it, it's possible if the if the turnover is less than seventy five thousand. Um, assuming that's the case, yeah. um, we then we then need to ask, well, is our, is our buyer going to be registered mm. for GST? Yeah. Um, if the answer to that is yes, um, we're now moving on to okay what are we selling? Um, what is the enterprise that we're selling and are we selling everything required yep. for the buyer to come in, continue operating the enterprise as if nothing had changed yep. And if the answer to that is yes mm-hmm. um, then we're going to be applying the going concern exemption for yep. GST. Yep. Um, but when we're talking everything necessary we're, mm-hmm. if we're looking at a, a let's let's pick a cafe or a restaurant, do they own the building? Do they lease the building? Mm. Uh, if they lease it, then there's going to have to be a transfer of the lease, or at least entering into of a new lease. Mm. Employees, uh, you know, stock, all that sort of stuff needs to be part of what we're passing on to our buyer if we're going to tick that box and, and apply the going concern um
0: can, can there be issues with transferring of a lease during a transaction at all does that pop raise its head for, with, from a gst point of view or well, just in general from the the, the lend
2: well certainly it, well, on the gst point i mean, think that's covered that, that yeah. very well but um the only time that you have to give it a fair bit of thought um is when you have a party that's buying freehold and a business together yeah and you want to make sure that you understand what the structures are on the vendor side and what the structures are on the purchaser side mm-hmm. to make sure that, that the going concern provision or the GST provision applies to the right transaction. Probably a bit too complex to go in in this mm. forum, yeah, but that's, yep. if, if you're in a situation like that, you really need to, to take care. Um, transferring of lease or any discussion around lease matters is one of our biggest focuses on mm. that. We, we're, yep. we're wanting to make sure, particularly from a purchaser's point of view, that there is there is no hidden monsters in the lease, yeah. so there's no dispute with the landlord, or there's no no major infrastructures upgrades that are required. That there's a security of tenure for a period, yeah. so that they know that they've got something just behind them. Yeah. And if they're not going to stay in that premises, that they've got plans to to move, that they've thought about that. Um, from a um, from a vendor's point of view. You're really focused on making sure that the guarantor's release, but that's usually pretty pretty par for the course. It is, yeah. yeah. Anything else you can think of, please? I, I mean,
1: I, from a from a vendor's perspective, I think they need to understand that most leases. Um, will require that they pay the landlord's legal costs as part of the transfer yeah. process. Okay. It often gets that um, they don't they don't realize that. It's no. a pretty innocuous clause in most leases that mm. you'll find floating around. Yep. Um, but it's important that they understand that, you know, the landlord's got to give their consent. Mm. Um, so what we're really looking for is we've got a contract of sale signed. That contract of sale is subject to our buyer getting a transfer of the existing lease or the yep. granting of a new lease. And then we're approaching our landlord. Mm. Vendor is approaching the landlord and saying, "Okay, I have sold my business. I require your consent as a requirement under the lease." Yeah. Um, because from a buyer's perspective, if we don't have that, well, what's the, you know, what are they left with?
2: And look, one other fundamental point, and you've just Matt's last comments jogged my memory. One of the things that often crops up at the last minute mm. is the is the credit requirements of a, of the landlord of the incoming. Tenant, They may want to be satisfied that the tenant is a person of, or, or a company of means yeah. and they'll have a, a list of things that they require and of course you get to the, the week before settlement and you realise that the landlord hasn't been satisfied and, and, mm. and everything goes mm. to hell yep. in a handbasket. So you want to be onto that pretty quickly as, mm. a, as a vendor that you've, you've touched mm. base with your landlord and they know that it's coming.
1: Yep. Yeah. And often, I mean, I don't know why, but it seems to happen very last minute. Um, and two of the only reasons, if, if the Retail Leases Act is applying to the lease, which in most cases it will, mm. um, that the landlord can say no is if, A, they don't think they've got the financial resources to yep. meet the requirements of the lease, or they don't have the necessary business experience to operate a business of that mm. nature. Yep. And, and and that's it. They're the only two reasons a landlord yep. can say no. And they'd need some sort of decent Supporting evidence, evidence to, 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 mm, so, yeah, no, really to do good, that. No,
0: that's really good information. Um, what about during a business transaction and or post settlement, you've got restraints and so forth? Can you that plays an important factor? I think in a, in a in a transaction, can you touch on um, sure meaning of restraints and how that works? Well, restraints probably an area that I've had a fair bit of exposure in the
2: litigation mm. side. Again, um, uh, it's obviously. Um, often a hot topic. Um, I don't know how many vendors we've seen, Matt, that say, I will never, ever (laughs) do this work ever again. And then three (laughs) weeks later, they've been offered a job by a competitor and they're they're in in the door again. And you go, oh, what? Anyway, essentially, the the general proposition at law is a restraint of trade um, is void. Yep. um, Unless it's reasonable. So uh, what the clauses we try to, Put in place in a contract, set up that reasonable reasonable element, yeah. um, and what a court will often look at is a number of factors. But primarily, um, it will be the area or the geographical area that you're restraining the party from. It'll be the term of, or the period in which you're restraining the party mm-hmm. from doing doing what they're proposed to be doing. Um, and then they look at other factors like the bargaining power, whether whether the restraint is is reasonable in the circumstances, and the number one. Basis for a restraint being reasonable is if you are selling a business with a customer list and a, and a, and, a, and a and a um yep. and a value of goodwill that yep. you want to preserve, and yep. then if you go around the corner and open up another yep. business, that's where a court will normally step up and say, well, that's that's not that's yep. not appropriate. Yep. Um, we often put cascading clauses. You may have, have seen those in a contract, which which reduce the area and the time by degree. It might mm-hmm. be. 150 kilometres and three years, yeah. 100 kilometres and so forth. The reason we do that is is primarily there's, the court has a discretion to read the clause down to a level of what it consist, considers to be reasonable. Yep. And you don't want to be in a position where your clause is struck out totally because you haven't got that, yeah, yeah. that ability. Mm-hmm. Um, from a purchaser's point of view, you would, you would be very silly not to consider a, re- a restraint. Yep. Um, uh, particularly... If there are key personnel in the business that mm. you want to make sure stay in the business, and if there is a real heavy reliance on the the goodwill aspect of the of the owner, so if the owner is the, re- the reason people deal with the, with that business, yep. you want to be really thinking about restraint. Anything mm. else? That you want to make? I think it's
1: it's 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 important to consider who are you restraining. Yeah. If the vendor is, say, Rick Sofra Proprietary Limited mm. and the clause says the vendor is restrained from operating a similar business, etc., three years, and you're not restraining Rick Sofra the individual, yeah. um, you've got yourself a bit of a threshold issue um, as to who's actually bound and mm. who's not. Yeah. Um, so that's where we come back to, as Rick was saying, um, rightfully so, consider who the relevant entities are from the start so yeah. that we know when we're drafting documents, who are we actually restraining? Yep. Yeah. Yep.
2: Yeah. Well, our standard clauses would would normally extend it beyond the company to an individual, and often we'll see in that scenario Matt gave Rick Sofra might not even be a director of the company that owns the business. Mm. So you want to you want to restrain the individual that yep. is, is tied to the goodwill. So mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Very good. Um, just some other topics about. Um, Partners agreements, you know, within business, how important are they um, within business, Matt? They're very important. Unfortunately, you just don't see
1: them very often, Gerald. No. You don't. Um, uh, often, what you don't see is the the, the buyer might be a uh, a company, and you've yeah. got uh, two shareholders which are mates or family. Yeah. yeah. Um, even worse, it's family. T- <laughs> um, and they need to they need to have an agreement between them. Um, you Absolutely. know, a shareholders agreement mm. um, about you know very important aspects uh, about the operation of the business. Things like uh, what happens if someone wants out, and mm. what's the process for getting out. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what if someone passes away? What happens then? Yeah. Um, things like insurance. Mm. Um, you know, do, do we need do we need what we call a, a key man policy where one one person yeah. passes, uh, which enables the um, the remaining partner to pay out the deceased shareholder. So, that, you know, the family mm. gets paid their money and, um, and they continue on trading with the business. So mm. very important. Unfortunately, we, we, we I, I, I won't speak for Rick, um, but I, I don't see them often enough. Mm. People, uh, form the view that I oh, know it'll, it'll, it'll be okay. Or they don't want to outlay the cost, which I, which I can understand. Um, the best, the best shareholder's agreement is the one you don't have to use, mm. um, the, the one that sits in the bottom <laughs> drawer collecting yeah. dust. Yeah. Um, yeah. But at least if you've got one and an issue arises, you've already turned your mind to, to how that gets resolved. Mm. And all the parties have got to do is say, okay, we dealt with this at the start. Mm. We now know that the footprint that we've got to follow. Here it is. This is how we resolve the dispute. Yeah. But without it, it's... Um, I mean, ultimately, Rick will, Rick will tell you it's a, it's a mess. Mm,
2: yep. Oh, it's it's a a litigation lawyer's dream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people go. It, 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 it's funny. Um, in in my practice, um, there's only one thing worse than matrimonial disputes. It's partnership disputes. The emotion is illogical. Yeah. Um, you want to put something in place at a time when everything's calm Mm. when everyone's working together and everything's going well. That's the time to sit down and have discussions about Mm. what do we do if things aren't quite so good? Because the last thing you want to be doing is trying to, to uh, untangle a mess when, Mm. when things have gone sour and there can be, there's there's no podcast long enough to discuss what can go wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But um, look, I agree with Matt. You often see them, mm. the, you know, yeah. the partnerships that don't have them. The Partnership Act exists, so there is an act which will provide some framework yeah. to dissolve <clears> these, <throat> these these arrangements, but um, it, it can be clunky and you're better off setting up um, your own structure at the beginning. That's so that. I come back to the first point I made. Mm. As a purchaser, you would sit down with your accountant, you'd sit down with your lawyer, as a group, if it's a, if it's a number of partners, if it's mm. family, um, whatever it might be, you talk about your structure, you talk about um, what your expe- expectations are, what your hopes are and what happens if things don't go right and you put it down on paper. Mm. And a shareholders yeah. agreement and a partnership agreement or whatever the variation mm. is, is not overly complex. No. Um, Matt and I will have done hundreds mm. of them. Um, and there is a, there's a format yeah. and there, there are mm. key questions that we would go through. In every business, there's always an ability to tweak certain things that may be important Mm. to you as partners Mm. or to your business. But I think you you
0: are really playing with fire if you don't spend the money Mm. on a partnership agreement or a shareholder agreement. Excellent advice. So viewers out there, make sure you duck in and see one of these two guys and get your uh, director or partner agreement in place if you haven't already. So... um, Guys, I might just touch on just employee entitlements through business. and who's responsible for that, just for our viewers as well. Matt, did you want to touch on that just briefly?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, probably as a, as a general starting point, um, you, you're probably looking at most employees transferring across. Um, I mean, that, that would be the position 90% of the time that, 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 I, that I deal with, with purchases and sales mm. of business. Um, so we're looking at things like, okay, what's their, what are their annual leave entitlements? Um, what are their long service leave entitlements? What are their, what are their personal leave entitlements? Um, and usually, what happens is we have a list of who they are, when they commenced, what their hourly rates are, what the accrued entitlements are, and at settlement there's usually an adjustment. Yep. So um, if we the sale price is four hundred thousand dollars and we've mm-hmm. got fifty grand worth of employment employee entitlements that's usually a a deduction from the price um and settlements completed and the purchaser takes over those employees Mm -hmm. and those employees entitlements transfer across as if nothing had changed as if they'd been employed by the purchaser from day one Mm. um I i think what a lot of people don't understand is that Long service leave is accrued by everyone, including yeah. casual,
0: yeah.
1: Um, mm-hmm. from 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 the day they they commence. You know, it's it's only that um, you're not actually entitled to take them until you've ten years of continuous employment, or yeah. you know, you leave after seven, mm-hmm. then it's then it's pro rata. So, um, a, another one that I come across, and and, and Rick will, will will touch on this as well, is what do you do with sick leave? Because if an employee uh, transfers across and then leaves, then they don't get paid out their, their sick leave. It's no. not uh, if you leave your employment, you don't get paid out your sick leave. Mm. Um, but if the employee transfers across and then say within a week becomes unwell, yep. they're entitled to use their accrued their, their leave. So yeah. as far as um, you know, Fair Work Australia are concerned, their entitlements are no different mm. just because the business has changed hands. Yeah. Um, and they, they have stayed on in the business, mm. then it's, it's continuous employment and, and their entitlements roll over, so. Yeah. Um,
2: Look, the other thing, the other few bits that I would add, I suppose, to that, um, when, the, when you're getting the information at the beginning, uh, get whoever it is that assists you with this process, whether it's your accountant or whether it's a bookkeeper or whatever it is, to, to make sure the data is accurate. Make sure your super's up to date as a vendor and yeah. make sure that you know exactly what those entitlements are mm. so that you can factor them in. The other thing I would add from a purchaser's perspective or from both parties' perspective because there have been transactions where I've been involved in mm. where the the management of the, the process of talking with employees has been sensitive or being mishandled mm-hmm. and that can create a big problem for the parties. So... Um, particularly in larger organisations where the key staff are essential
0: mm. uh,
2: and staff may not know and vendors may not want them to know that a deal has been done yeah. uh, until such mm. time as a contract. Mm. You want to make sure that you're talking through your agent, if an agent's involved, but certainly mm. through your lawyers yeah. to manage the process of disclosure mm. so that when those offers are made by the new purchaser, which have to be on the same terms, same terms. Um, yep. Uh, that they're made in a way that's going to avoid friction and increase the prospect of of a smooth transaction yeah
1: and that's and that's important as Rick said that usually what will happen is the contract will provide that mm. within a certain period of time prior to settlement the purchaser will offer employment to yep. the employees on substantially the same terms mm-hmm. and then the, per- the the employee will either say yep I'm happy to transfer or no I'm not yeah um, for those that say yes, they transfer across on settlement, and there's a yeah. allocation deduction from the price for those. Mm-hmm. Those that say no, um, then the vendor terminates. At, they terminate their employment at settlement, and they pay them out yeah. what their accrued entitlements are, mm-hmm. and uh, and any applicable redundancy if it applies. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It can be a, it can be one of the more stressful parts of the transaction for both parties, mm. but particularly the vendor. So yeah. they need to. Think about that process would be mm. my advice. Carefully and how they manage that, Definitely. because um, uh,
0: you don't want upset employees and you don't want people whispering no. by the, the water <clears> cooler <throat> about what's happening. That's right. That's right. And you tend to hear that, and it's you tend to um, oh, the cat out of the bag a lot. And that's just probably a bit of human nature. And whether it's just you know regional or country town, that's but you know <laughs> it's a small town. Everyone, everyone. Everyone well, talks you know, if a, if a transaction falls over mm. because you didn't do a Section 52, which, yeah. of course, Daddy you heard <laughs> Matt, you'll definitely
2: do, uh, and then all of the employees know that the vendor out the
0: door, um, it, it, it can really unsettle the business. So you, mm. you don't want that to happen. Yeah. yeah. Is there any other topics that you guys want to, want to t- touch on? Is there been a, a curly deal that you can enlighten the viewers oh. on that might be, you know... Um, what, what, no, I, what I'd say, look, yeah. my, my number one bit of advice to
2: a purchaser is don't kid yourself. Mm. Go in with open eyes. Ask the questions that need to be asked um, because often you go in thinking um, it's all positive. I'm going to make this work mm. and you turn... blind eye to what's obviously there yeah so that includes doing obviously due diligence on the financials it includes canvassing what the other um what the the key staff might be Mm. understanding the relationships with the the main suppliers or the main the Mm. main customers yeah to give you an example Whenever I see a franchise agreement, and that's a whole different ball game, mm. but with franchise agreements, uh, 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 there's an obligation to disclose who the franchisees are and who who have left during a period. Yeah. Um, and my advice to to somebody that's thinking about joining a franchise is ring the ones that have left, not the ones that are still there, because yeah. you want to know what's wrong. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I think make sure that, that you ask questions of the agents and of the of your lawyers. Don't don't think I can fix this. Mm. Um, or make it different. Just be realistic about, okay. about the prospects of the business. The other thing is, as a purchaser, make sure you've got spare cash. Don't mm. go in yep. on, a, on an oily rag because if things mm. don't go the way you want them, you're going to be under serious duress. Yep. 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 You're going to
1: need nice. a buffer of working capital there. Yeah. Um, mm. I, I, a big one um, that I come across uh, quite regularly, Gerald, is understand what you're buying. Mm. Because just because that piece of plant equipment is mm. sitting there in the premises doesn't necessarily mean the vendor actually owns it. Yeah. Particularly, um, I, I mean, I'll use ca- I've used cafes a bit, but it, it's a it's a fantastic example. Often those coffee machines that you see there mm. are effectively on on lease yeah. um, on the basis that the the owner buys their beans and you yeah. know, uses other you know advertising paraphernalia. Mm. Um, and if the buyer intends well i don't i don't like that bean. i'm going to use a different one they don't realize that that coffee machine will then march out the door the following yeah. day yeah. and we're talking a big outlay mm. um i love Absolutely. my coffee as much yeah. as uh, the, yeah. you two gentlemen i'm yeah. sure yeah. um and that they are expensive pieces of machinery so understand what the vendor actually owns yeah what's on lease mm. And flowing from that is um, what PPSR registrations does this vendor have over them yep. um, that we need to get released prior to settlement. Yep. And, and do that search. You want to run that search at the start of the matter. It's usually what I do. Mm-hmm. Run it at the start of the matter. Understand what you're dealing with. Because sometimes you can have a list at 20, mm-hmm. 30 of the things and run, and run it prior to settlement.
2: That comes back to that point I made at the start, Gerald. Um Matt and I have been involved in transactions where we've had to reverse engineer the transaction because yeah. the parties are so keen that they've already moved in, yep. and the and the vendor's already left, and you've got PPSR yeah. registrations, and you've mm. got cars that need to have uh, roadworthies, and you've got staff entitlements, yeah. and we just look at each other and laugh. Basically, we go, "Why?" Yeah. yeah, yeah. So get all those ducks lined up at the beginning. Don't rush it.
0: Yep, and listen. And listen. Yeah,
1: yeah. and and which is why it's it's important to have that. That good relationship, as Rick said, you know, there's so many moving parts and mm. people involved. Have that good relationship with your agents, with your accountants, with the solicitors on the other side,
0: mm.
1: because you're going to strike these deals where you do have to reverse yeah. engineer them and you're going to need the goodwill of everyone,
0: yeah.
1: um, you know, and, and a good working relationship mm. to. To, mm. to get the outcome for everyone. Because at the end of the day, we've yeah. got an owner that wants to sell yep. and a buyer that wants in. I've got
2: to be we're pretty That's lucky right. in the Golden Valley. I think all the, all the lawyers that we deal with are um, yeah. just a really um, a good relationship, working relationship with all of them. Yep. And that works well, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we don't find that ourselves in difficult positions because yeah, no. we've been put there absolutely by virtue of a transaction. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are there are a raft of different things: stock taking disputes, there's uh, yeah. issues over. Mm. Uh, there, there are many topics you could get you could discuss. Yeah, uh, as I said at the beginning. Definitely.
0: No, I think we've given. I think they're the key. Uh, we've certainly given our viewers um, and broad audience a great insight. Um, and thank you both to, uh, to to Rick Soffer and Matt Jones for for their time uh, and expertise. It's been fantastic, and um, we look forward to catching up with you guys and continue to work with. Uh, the business going forward so thanks for having um, us thanks again and uh, look out for uh, this podcast coming up um, we we'll look out for, for episode seven which also will be coming soon and you can watch us all on your latest uh, podcast platform so thanks for thanks for watching we'll see you again soon thanks for listening. Please subscribe on your favourite podcast platform so you don't miss upcoming episodes. We would love you to share this podcast with your network and if you have any questions or feedback, please connect with us via our social network or head to gagliardi.scott.com.au.